Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this episode, Mr. Kizer Khan is an American citizen of Pakistani descent. He is perhaps most famous for the fact that he carries a copy of the U.S. Constitution in his breast pocket and for a speech he gave at the Democratic National Convention in 2016. Mr. Khan stood on stage that night with his wife, Ghazala. He talked about his son, Captain Humayun Khan, who was killed in action in Iraq in 2004. He talked about the Constitution of the United States, and he talked about presidential candidate Donald Trump. Khan was raised in Pakistan, the eldest son of a poor family with 10 children. He did well in school and ultimately took advantage of a chance to immigrate to the United States in 1980. He earned a Master's of Law degree from Harvard in 1986. Kizer Khan tells his life story in An American Family, a memoir of hope and sacrifice. He talked about his life before and since his famous convention speech at Seattle University's Campion Ballroom on December 8th. Crosscut Managing Editor Florangela Davila joined him on stage. Jenny Cecil Moore recorded the conversation. Please note, You'll hear some problems with the microphone periodically in this recording. We thought the talk was worth listening around those. Thanks for your patience. Good evening, and welcome to Seattle University's lecture and book signing with Mr. Kazir Khan. Seattle University is dedicated to empowering leaders for a just and humane world. We encourage our students to stand up for what they believe in, to speak out against injustice, and in the words of St. Ignatius, to give and not to count the cost. This makes the university a particularly appropriate host for Kazir Khan, a man who has stood up, spoken out, and given without counting the cost and we are honored to have him and all of you here this evening. Just as hope and sacrifice have defined Mr. Khan's journey, these themes fuel our work as a university. There are many ways students, faculty, staff, and supporters of Seattle University are living out our mission, and I want to highlight just two for you. First is the law school's Fred T. Korematsu Center for Law Inequality. Named in honor of Fred Korematsu, the American civil rights activist who resisted Executive Order 9066, which ordered the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, our Korematsu Center aims to advance social justice by fostering critical thinking about discrimination in US society through legal advocacy. In the spirit of our center's namesake, the Korematsu Center has been integral in the fight against the various iterations of President Trump's travel ban, and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals cited recently to an amicus brief from the Korematsu Center in one of its oral arguments. Our center has fought to preserve ethnic studies in the Tucson, Arizona School District, advocated on behalf of legal aid for immigrants, and spoken out against the extreme and inequitable sentencing of juveniles in our country. The students, faculty, and staff of our Korematsu Center continually stand up and speak out against discrimination and live the university's mission by being leaders in efforts to bring about a more just and humane world. Second is the School of Theology and Ministries Center for Religious Wisdom and World Affairs. The center is dedicated to exploring the contributions of religious wisdom makes in understanding and responding to the world's most pressing social problems. The Center for Religious Wisdom and World Affairs brings together scholars from around the world and practitioners in the region to look for ways in which faith communities can more effectively lend assistance in the analysis of and response to issues causing human suffering and injustice. The issue they are currently focused on is homelessness and the affordable housing crisis. The center is daring forth into the future of faith in action. Speaking of daring forth, I want to thank Elliott Bay Book Company who brought this opportunity to host Kazir Khan to their SU co-sponsors, the School of Theology and Ministry and Seattle University School of Law. 
Some of you may know about our February event, the Search for Meaning Festival, which brings more than 60 authors to campus for a day to explore from diverse perspectives what it means to be human. Elliott Bay Book Company has been our partner in that event for 10 years, daring to dream with us about what a significant cultural event this could be, and we appreciate their important collaboration with Seattle University. I am very much looking forward to hearing from Kazir Khan, so let me welcome back to the stage to do the introductions, Mark Marcouli, Dean of the School of Theology and Ministry. Thank you. We've learned that with some of our authors, we bring a lot of them to here, obviously, during the year, especially for the search for meaning, that sometimes some authors uh, best connect with an audience and are able to share the, the passionate thoughts that they have and the activities that they've been engaged in in an interview style. And, and with uh, Mr. Khan, uh, we kind of determined with his publisher that, that that would probably be a really good, effective way for, to share with you uh, his story. So the um, what we're going to talk about tonight is is some very powerful and some very timely themes for our nation. Immigration, anti-Islamophobia, veterans' rights, patriotism, the meaning of democracy, and standing up for the constitutional rights of all Americans. All of those will be covered at one point or another during this discussion that we're going to be having. The proximate cause for this discussion is, is Mr. Khan's recently released book, An American Family, A Memoir of Hope and Sacrifice. It's an intensely personal story about the nature of patriotism and what it's like to risk everything you know for the promise of a 226-year-old piece of parchment. In the book, Mr. Khan traces his remarkable journey from humble beginnings on a poultry farm in Pakistan to doing a comparative course on the constitutions of the world in his home country to obtaining a degree from Harvard Law School and raising a family in America. He also tells the story of the Khan's middle child, a US Army captain who was killed while protecting his base in Iraq, and the ways in which their undying pride in him and his sacrifice have helped them endure the deepest despair any parent can know. As a very private person, he shares his own reticence to get thrust into the national light, but uh, how he also shows what it means to have the limitations of one's country behind for the best val keep those in mind for the best values and promises of another. Mr. Khan will be discussing this book with Flora Angela Davila. She's the managing editor at Crosscut, a veteran Seattle journalist. She worked for 14 years as a staff reporter covering race, immigration, and features at the Seattle Times. She's been a longtime arts contributor at KNKX FM, as well as Crosscut. Uh, her work has appeared on NPR and in Seattle Magazine. She's a former faculty member at the University of Washington, and prior to Crosscut, she served as the Voices of the Region Director for Seattle nonprofit Forterra, where she launched Ambersand, the, the print magazine, and, and executive produced Ambersand Live, a stage show. Just a few things about Mr. Khan that probably won't come up uh, in, in the discussion. He was born in 1950, the eldest of 10 children. Uh, to poultry farming parents in a rural part of, of Pakistan. He moved to the United States with his wife, Ghazala, in 1980. The couple began, became American citizens in 1986, and they raised their three sons in Silver Lake, Maryland. His middle son, Captain uh, Humayun Khan, was killed in 2004 in a suicide attack uh, in Iraq and was post posthumously awarded a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star. He works as a legal consultant and is involved with the University of Virginia's ROTC program. We may have some of our ROTC uh, students uh, present with us tonight. Um, he's received a lot of international attention and enormous media coverage for the speech he gave, as most of us know it, at the 2016 Democratic National Convention, which Andrew Sullivan called the fulcrum of the election. It, it included what the Washington Post uh, called the most memorable image of that convention. Here's some of the tangible influence of that. He's, this is going to be his 176th or 177th talk in a little over a year. After his speech, <clears throat> one minute after his speech ended, there was an enormous spike in searches for, on Google for register to vote. 
and the sales of pocket constitutions, which I asked him, he's carrying it right now, <laughs> reached, it, it reached the bestseller list second only to J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. <laughs> Since the convention, the cons have become symbols of patriotism, courage, and sacrifice. The book is a stark depiction of what an American looks like and what being a nation of immigrants really means and what it is to live rather than simply to pay lip service to our ideals. So if you could please welcome to the stage Flora Angela Davila and Mr. Kizer Khan. Hello. Hello, Mr. Khan. Your book is called An American Family, a memoir of hope and sacrifice. And I have to say, I've been feeling very angry lately. And in, in reading your book, it made me very calm, um, which is, I think, a, a feeling that a lot of us uh, might want. So uh, if you hadn't already been persuaded to buy the book, I say, uh, if you need a little bit of that in your life, um, I highly recommend it. Um, as as um, the dean mentioned, it is very much a story about standing up and personal sacrifice and, and belief. And I will get there, but it is very much a story about love of country and love of your wife. And that's where I wanted to start with, was a story that I found so beautiful about the courtship of your wife when you were in college. And there was a moment when you wanted to buy her a gift but you, had, you came from very humble background, and she came from royal background. And you were um, very worried about finding the right gift for her to express the love. You had this foresight that she was going to be the love of your life. I believe you are have been married now for 40-some years. Um, could, you, could you tell us that story? Because I, I, it is a beautiful cinematic moment, and it is one that I think everyone will enjoy. Sure, I'll be more than that to share that. Before we, uh, uh, before I answer your question, I humbly ask your permission to uh, share my gratitude to uh, Honorable Dean Clark of Law School, Dean Marcoli of Theology, and uh, uh, allowing us to assemble here and. Uh, honor this dignity. I'm grateful to Seattle University as well for uh, providing this opportunity to sit and stand uh, before you. Uh, plus, uh, in audience, there may be uh, veterans, uh, members of the uh, uh, serving in the United States Armed Forces, uh, their families, members of the law enforcement, their families, we are grateful to you. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Uh, I could not afford to, to, uh, to this, was, this would be my first present to Ghazala. I could not afford to give her anything because she had everything. And uh, so the only thing I could think of was something that would uh, tell her how I felt uh, about her and how special she was to me. So I went to a market in Lahore and I bought uh, uh, something, wrapped it in the newspaper because that's all I could afford. And uh, I took it to her dormitory, and uh, the girls lived separately. Because you had already, you, you were very struck by her beauty and her intelligence. Yes, yes, that was... Uh, you were smitten. <laughs> that was <laughs> taking place, but uh, uh, I wanted to let her know how I feel about her and how much she had meant to me. Uh, you don't simply... Uh, get up to uh, a dignified lady and uh, 
express your sentiments and all. You have to have an excuse and a manner and all that. So, so I took that present, wrapped it in the newspaper, and took it to her dormitory. The guard at the door accepted it. I told her this is for uh, uh, Ghazala, and he said he will let her know. So he informed her. And they all came down what this, uh, uh, this thing is. And there was a little bit of rattle in the box. So she, Ghazala, was uh, concerned that I may have played a joke on her. So she didn't want to uh, touch it. And she asked uh, one of her, her roommate to, uh, can you pry open the wrapped newspaper and see what is in it? Uh, you're going to make me lose my composure. I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> but, sorry. Uh, but it's so powerful. So she opens this newspaper thinking that it may be a rodent or it may be something that, <laughs> that uh, uh, I may have played a joke. So she opens it and looks into it and then turns back to Ghazala and says, he really loves you. <laughs> and uh, so then they open it and what it was, it was 21 sparrows in there. This was her 21st birthday with a card that uh, I had written that uh, next morning, please release these 21 sparrows with a prayer. So whatever you will pray, it will be answered. So it became a big scene at the release <laughs> next morning. The whole dormitory was assembled at her door and they <laughs> came with all of their prayers and wishes and all that. So that was my first present to her. I think that's the first time I, I, I cried reading your, your tale, and, and there are so many points uh, of that, and that's what makes the book so, so moving. Um, but there were other parts. I think the, the journey, your story starts in, in Pakistan, and there are so many aspects of just um, very humble beginnings and being very grateful for what you have, but also being very aware of what you didn't have. And you bring us to a moment when you uh, go and buy some readings. You had just uh, started, I think, believe either university or law school. And you are in a very sparse dorm room. I can't remember how long the bus took to get your readings. And you got very excited by, by the reading. Can you tell me? And then I remember you had like a best friend and you, you ended up talking about sure. that. And I think that leads very much to um, the subject matter of the book. Sure. I was second year law student and in Pakistan. Uh, I had taken a course titled uh, uh, Comparative Study of World Constitutions. Four constitutions were part of it. First one was Constitution of Soviet Union. Uh, yes, I'm sure some of us remember their use to be Soviet Union. And because of the usurpation of the people's rights and dignities, it remains no more. It is Russia now. Uh, and the second constitution was Germany. And third was Magna Carta, which is the foundation of the British legal system. And fourth was US constitution. And the way materials were put together when I got them, and I carried them in the bus and came and placed them at the corner of my dormitory table. The US Constitution was on the top. The very first page, and now this is my very first moment, my introduction to the United States about to take place. Uh, the very first page that I looked at, it said July, 1776, Declaration of Independence. I had some awareness of how colonized world had worked, how the humanity had suffered under colonized times. And uh, uh, wait a minute, 
It must be 1976. It couldn't be 1776 because most of the mankind had suffered another 200 years after 1776 before we gained our independence. Our continent gained its independence. Most of the nations, other nations, Asia, other parts, Middle East, gained their independence. It, uh, I was in awe. I could not believe my eyes that wh who are these people in 1776 and they are declaring their independence? The history of the independence is from the colonized, in the colonized part of the world that you are given independence. When there is nothing else to extract from you, then you are given independence. You beg, you appeal, and finally you are freed. You struggle. What a nation. In 1776, they are declaring their independence. So I stood in awe of this first line, and then I continued to read, what is this document telling us? And I read all 1,338 words of independence in one standing. My... Uh, my uh, Feet were hurting, and I was—I uh, uh, took my shoes off, and I kept reading it, uh, half understanding. Uh, next morning, I talked to a friend of mine who was uh, doing his master's program in. Uh, we don't want to miss any of your words. Who was uh, 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 doing his uh, English uh, master's program? And I asked him if he would explain to me some of the language of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and, uh, and he explained, and we were both in awe for weeks. After reading Declaration of Independence, all, as I said, 1,338 words, then I was not able to count them, but now I have counted. It contains 18 grievances. And they were so similar to the grievances of the rest of the colonized world. Uh, I, we were awestruck. And then I read our articles. It made so much sense that that is how civilized people live. That is what rule of law is. That is how we have separation of powers. We have separation of state and federal government. This is how civilized people live. And then came the best part the Bill of Rights. Uh, since then, after becoming a little more intimately aware of Bill of Rights, I don't call them Bill of Rights. Those are human dignities that are enshrined in our Bill of Rights. And uh, so that was then in 72, 1972, and I have been in awe of these three documents ever since. Is that when you decided that uh, you would move to no, the no, no, not at all. I, I was so uh, limited in my capacity and in my, in my ability and in my even the capacity of my dreams that I, I want. I was curious to find out who these people are, that are declaring their independence in such a civilized way, in and then uh, articles impressed me the most, and then of course the Bill of Rights. I was curious to know more about these, uh, uh, this blessed nation. But I could not at that time uh, uh, had the capacity, mental capacity, to dream to come to the United States. But later on, as I became more aware of uh, 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 my life and more aware of the possibilities in life and all, then of course I wanted to come and I wanted to study and I wanted to see and I wanted to, uh, there had been amazing events in my life uh, that have introduced America to me in such a profound way. So if you see some reflection of uh, passion, reflection of this most uh, respect and, uh, and, and, and love affair with the uh, values that are enshrined in our documents. Uh, uh, there is 
there are amazing events that took place in my life. First time I am meeting America in Dubai. I went to Dubai on Friday so I could start the work. And we narrate all this in the book in great detail. Oh, by the way, both of these books, the proceeds from these books are dedicated to the scholarship that we have set up at University of Virginia, uh, titled Captain Himayun Khan Memorial Scholarship. And the first scholarship was awarded last week. We received a card from the, yes, we received the card from the first recipient. And the recipient says, among other sentiments, thank you for making university education possible for me. So it is that some good continues to come out of life of Captain Himayun Khan. So my first uh, uh, introduction to my nation, my blessed nation, was in Dubai. I had gotten there on Friday, thought that I will rent a hotel room, only to be told that hotel rooms are not available. This is 74. Uh, and if they are available, they are so expensive, you will not be able to afford. So I had rented a room from a cab driver. And uh, uh, it was just a bare room, four walls and, and a door. And I had spent two nights there. And there is a great detail in the book. I won't ruin the, f uh, uh, the fun of uh, reading it, <laughs> what I went through there. But uh, uh, Monday morning, I went to work and uh, I met... This is first American I am meeting. And you will know why I am so passionate about the generosity of this nation, the kindness, the thoughtfulness, the acceptance of others, the basic character of this nation. Uh, so I go into, uh, the secretary introduces me, and Alan says, please come to my office. We go in there. And uh, Alan has piles and piles of uh, 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 files on his desk. This is an oil company that is setting its business in Dubai. And we have hired uh, many experts to come and work in Dubai, oil workers mostly. And after spending five minutes of explaining, he looks at me. He said, Kizer, you look very tired. Where have you been sleeping? I was embarrassed to tell him where I was sleeping because I was sleeping on the floor with a towel and a suitcase as my pillow. He said, uh, you look very tired. Uh, are you okay? I said, yes, I'm okay. Uh, so he picks up the phone and he calls somebody. Uh, and within 30 minutes, Lisa enters the office and she introduces herself. I am Lisa, I am Alan's wife. And uh, she said, let's go home. Uh, Alan told me that you're very tired. And uh, this is first introduction to United States of America. I, I was so embarrassed, I told her, I said, <laughs> you don't want to go where, <laughs> where my home is. But she said, no, let's go. And we followed her. Alan followed her and I followed Alan. Three of us went in her car and uh, uh, we went to a building where uh, this company had rented many apartments for expats when they were coming. Instead of putting them in hotels, uh, they were to be placed in those uh, small apartments for a few weeks up until permanent residences were found for them. So she opens the door and we walk into this one bedroom apartment. And she points towards the bedroom. She said, uh, this is your bedroom. I had uh, never seen three pillows on the bed up until that day. <laughs> I was so humbled. Then she pointed towards the restroom, so many towels and uh, other amenities, and then the kitchen, the plates and the cups, and uh, on, the, uh, 
on the stove was the kettle and the tea and she opened the door of the refrigerator, uh, bread, butter, other items in the refrigerator and after giving me that uh, uh, tour of the apartment, they said, uh, uh, Alan said to me, Kieser, you rest tonight and then we will start the work tomorrow. And they left. Uh, I closed the door. That was, and I was so humbled. They did not owe me anything. They, all they owed me was a paycheck at the end of the month. But this generosity, this kindness had placed such an imprint on my soul and in my heart. Thereafter, it did not stop only at that. Thereafter, Alan and Lisa became our adopted parents because when Ghazala came to join me in Dubai, they somehow found out that this is tradition in our family, that parents go to receive her. That's a great bride. story. Because all and of this is happening, right? He's married, but Ghazala is still in Pakistan. In Pakistan, And yes. before internet, the, and it was really expensive to call, so you were not communicating in any <laughs> regular way. Yeah. So this is a great story as well. So anyway, so they go to receive her and they bring her. Uh, to home and then thereafter I am told to go and meet my bride and uh, it is that this generosity, this kindness of this great nation had uh, had made me humble, had made me uh, realize that uh, this is what has made this nation, this generosity, acceptance, acceptance of others, uh, uh, sharing uh, without any 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 interest or without any uh, 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 return uh, of goodness with others has made this nation beacon of hope for the rest of the world. I uh, wish to share quickly, I know that uh, you have so many other questions, but uh, I want to share uh, something that I never hesitate to mention. Uh, which is the day I became citizen of this blessed nation. Twice in my life I have lived under martial law where uh, I did not have the freedom to read whatever I wanted to read, pick up the newspaper, because the martial law administrator decides what will be printed, what will not be printed, who will print them. Uh, I have seen with my own eyes newspaper uh, writers being shot, being beaten, press burn it. This is fake media. This is uh, is is no good to the nation because it's it was criticizing the the martial law administrator, the oligarch, the autocrat, the authoritarian uh, leader, and uh, so I have lived twice under those circumstances. Uh, so before I took the oath of office, I paused outside the courthouse, uh, courtroom, before entering and taking the oath of, uh, oath of citizenship, uh, realizing how far I have come, yet none of these rights that are enshrined in our constitution are guaranteed to me up until I go inside I take the oath of citizenship and we are given a certificate and the top of the certificate it says certificate of naturalization and citizenship. To my uh, welled eyes those two lines said this and they are so true even today certificate of human dignities that now the rights that I have been dreaming, the rights that I have learned about long ago, those are all mine. Now I am entitled to I have been made a dignified citizen of this country. It is that that has meant so very much to me and continues to aspire and inspire me. This going to, I know that that is one of your questions. Uh, going to the uh, to 
Democratic National Convention. We are private people. Even today, we are private people. We were told, do not go. This is not your cup of tea. Captain Himayun Khan was uh, to be paid tribute. Just let it be when the invitation came. Even your, even your other two sons were telling you yes. Not, to, yes. not to go. Yes. When, uh, when that bigoted statement was made, I will ban if I became president. I will ban all Muslims. I will uh, throw away all Hispanics. Uh, judges are partial. Women uh, don't deserve equal dignity, and uh, and so on. Small children, wherever I would go, knowing that I have, I continue to practice law, uh, knowing that I am a lawyer. Small children and their parents will approach me that, is this true if uh, this candidate becomes president? Are we going to be thrown out of here? But we are born here. We look different, but we are born here. So I would hearten them. I would hug the kids and I'll read the 14th Amendment section 1, the equal protection part of it and due process part of it and all. But... Uh, but children were not heartened. Parents will call me later that, could you speak to them again? Because they are not, uh, they remain worried. When they go to school, their peers bully them, saying that, oh, you'll be thrown out of here. When you go back home, your parents would have been taken. You will never see them again. So some of these kids whom I counseled, whom I heartened, uh, were saying, we don't want to go to school. We don't want to be away from our parents. We've been told that they will be taken away from here. So this was going on in our life. Comes the invitation that they're going to be paying tribute to Captain Himayun Khan. I asked, uh, they said that uh, uh, we are inviting other Gold Star families uh, to the convention. You had already done the interview. Correct. And, um, and they and you then get the invitation right. to be one of many families Correct. that evening. So I asked our other two sons that should we go and they tell us do not. I thought they are being overprotective of us. I called some uh, politically savvy friends and they told us exactly the same thing, that that is not your nature, that is not your character because it is quite... Uh, it is quite common uh, uh, under these circumstances that your reputation is maligned, your integrity is questioned, uh, uh, and you will not have the privacy and the peace that you're used to. We live in Charlottesville, Virginia, a very peaceful and quiet community, except August 12th and 13th, and I will talk about that in a second. Uh, so we were told, do not go. We sat for two days pondering in the room where Captain Himayun Khan's picture hangs, should we go, shouldn't we go? And we almost decided that it really would not be wise for us to go. And what changed your mind? Then I went, second day, uh, I went to check the mail, and in the mailbox there was a card. It came from a middle school, four names of the students and there was a sentence in the middle of the card it's that sentence that sent us and that sentence said mr mrs khan would you make sure that maria is not thrown out of this country we love her she's our friend i looked at that card twice brought that card to ghazala and she looked at it her eyes welled after she read it she told me, call them, we will go. And we went. So it is that. It is that that uh, institutions like this prepare an ordinary citizen that when the time comes to speak, to stand up for sake of others, you have two choices. One, we could have sat home. We could have continued to enjoy our peace and quiet. As I said, this is my 176th appearance last night in Los Angeles. Four events. Night before three days in San Francisco. 
tomorrow in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and the journey continues of speaking of our constitution, of our values, heartening the communities. And uh, quickly, just so that we can move the conversation along, I come from Charlottesville, Virginia, city of Thomas Jefferson. On 12th of August, we were attacked. The entire nation saw that attack, that ugly march with the Nazi flag in their hands. They came from outside Charlottesville with rifles and guns and ugly chants challenging us, threatening the community under the disguise of freedom of speech. Of course, you have the right freedom of speech, but you don't have the right to make us afraid, make us fearful of our life, our safety. But they did come. I saw with my own eyes, I was not to go. We were told, do not go outside that day. I stayed in, but then I went to get some books, uh, drove through the medical center, and there it was, right in front of my eyes, that march, that Nazi flag, that flag that we had buried in Europe. My brothers and sisters died in thousands, defeating that hate and division in Europe. But we saw that on full display that day. Next day was Saturday, August 13th. My daughter, I call her my daughter out of affection. She was murdered. Heather Hare was murdered by this car driver who came from outside, attacking our peaceful community. But very few of you know what took place on Wednesday of that week. Charlottesville decided that we are going to show our children what this nation, what this country, what this city is all about. No announcement was made, only through word of mouth. Thousands families came out with candles, with children, families walked on the same path where a few days ago that division and hate was on display so that our children can be heartened that that was not American value. This is American value. Families were heartened, children were heartened. And then a few days later came Boston, the same dozen or two Nazi flag carriers went to Boston and they tried to make the Bostonians afraid they displayed the hate and division. But look, 40,000 Bostonians came out. The rest of the country saw that on television. 40,000 Bostonians came out to repel that division and hate because that is not American value at all. It is for that reason I continue to speak and continue to to, to go community to community to community. First, I am so passionate about the values that are enshrined in our, in our founding documents. Second is that uh, without fail, without fail, I am asked one question throughout the nation, Portland, Oregon, Des Moines, Iowa, Pittsburgh, Toledo, Houston, Seattle, this is my fourth time in Seattle. I have come here for other organizations and speaking engagements, and I will continue to come. Uh, one question is asked, uh, and that question is, where do we go from here? Here is the answer. Virginia asked that same question that you and I have in our mind today, where do we go from here? On 7th of November, we stood up. Women of Virginia stood up in the longest line that you have ever seen. Men and children of Virginia stood up to vote and participate. And look at the result. Look at the result. We participated. We stood up. 
we decided that we will repel ugliness and this division and we will prevail. And in Virginia, we prevailed. It is, it is that the time has come that this great nation, not on, let's not wait till 7th of November. Yes, on that day, it is obligatory on all of us to participate. This is the least we can do for our blessed nation, for our country, for our constitution. It's an honor to be able to vote. But prior to then, there is so much more that needs to be done. I am told by the political organizations and all that, that there is an amazing uptick in the candidacy for various offices of this nation among women. They are participating, they are becoming candidates. That was very much on display here in Washington State. Exactly. Thank you. And it is the moment in, in, in history is such whether we like it or not, our time has come. We have been placed in this difficult moment so that we can show not only our nation but rest of the world that goodness of this nation prevails. The nation that uh, Reagan declared beacon of hope, and I had been admirer of Ronald Reagan because he saw that city on top of hill, beacon of hope, that shining city. He said it has walls, but walls have doors where anyone with courage and strength can walk in. And so since then, I've been his admirer as well. But it, the moment has come that we, we, each and every one of us becomes activists, participate, speak, fundraise, join groups, create groups, select candidates, recruit candidates, and continue the march so that we can regain, uh, regain what is, uh, appears that uh, it is deteriorating. I always mention in my conversation a 26-page letter that is written to us by a retired army nurse of Second World War. She writes on 25 pages that uh, what she saw prior to, during Second World War, and on 26th page she gives us the message. And I share that message humbly with you. And she says, Mr. and Mrs. Khan, continue to speak. Had more people spoken prior to Second World War, we could have avoided the Second World War. The atrocities that were committed against the mankind in Second World War could have been avoided. The atrocities that were committed against our Jewish brothers and sisters in Second World War could have been avoided had more people spoken. The world did not speak. It is that that continues, that makes me go to 176 to, regardless of number, whatever it takes, we will continue to speak for the goodness, for the values of our country, for the rule of law of our country. And all of this effort and words are dedicated to each and every one of you. May you also be the, be the political activist at whatever station you are. If you're dean of law school or dean of this blessed uh, school uh, or practicing attorney or ordinary citizen, retired, active, at each and every level we must become activists within our capacity, within our limitations. We must become activists. We must speak about the goodness that is enshrined in our founding documents. And uh, uh, there is no other choice. Whether we like it or not, our time has placed us in this difficulty. Under these circumstances, it is obligatory on all of us, those who are so blessed 
to have these dignities. I, I always say this, sometimes we consider, well, these are all inalienable rights that we have in our constitution. These are inalienable. Yes, these are inalienable, but these are not self-executory. You and I make them executory. We must stand, we must speak of them. Whenever challenged and questioned, we must stand up and question that. I have some questions from the audience that I wanted to, um, to share with you. Uh, have you found yourself face-to-face -face in discussions when you've been out with, with Trump supporters? And do they talk about and acknowledge your son's service and his sacrifice? And do you think you've been able to change any, any of their well, minds? Well, I have not been able to change, but this is what I have been able to accomplish. And I think all of us must do that when such moment comes in your conversation, in our meetings. I have experienced that is this. We are people of democracy. Civility in our discourse is our hallmark. We conduct our conversation with civility. That had been not so prevalent lately. But I have expressed my, my differences. I have expressed my uh, difference of opinion or uh, my observations. Uh, they all had been very respectful of the sacrifice of not only Captain Himayun Khan, but the uh, uh, rest of the members of the uh, armed forces that have sacrificed their lives, meaning the, the Gold Star families and parents. Uh, we have disagreed on uh, uh, policies and on what is taking place, where the direction of our nation is and all that, we have disagreed. But I have conducted myself with utmost dignity and utmost civility with them. And they have noticed that. It is that sometime by, by uh, practicing yourself, you can show the path to others, those who are not uh, so uh, readily uh, practicing that behavior. But civility in our discourse is our salient feature of the people of democracy. Question, what do you feel is the greatest achievement of your life? <laughs> oh, uh, that's uh, uh, being a citizen of this nation is the greatest achievement that I could have ever dreamed. And uh, it remains that, that uh, having the honor of being the citizen of this blessed nation is such a high honor. And I mean, I mean it for, for a couple of reasons. One is that I have, I have spoken to those that do not know where America is. I have asked them this question. Do you want to have right to speak? They will say yes. Do you want to have right to practice your faith or not practice your faith? Yes. Do you want to have right to read whatever newspaper you want to pick up? And yes, we want to have that. Or go to the court to address our grievances? Yes. But where can we find these? These rights don't exist. Those who do not know America say this. These rights don't exist. All of them at one place. And when you tell them, that this blessed nation has been guaranteed these rights. I always implore my friends to next time, please pick up your, 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 these three documents, read them Declaration of Independence, all 18 grievances listed in there. Grievance number seven is my favorite lately, talking about immigration and all that. Because most of the people, when they begin to talk about maligning immigrants and uh, do not realize that immigration is uh, at the foundation of this nation. 
our forefathers in our declaration of independence complained that the king is not allowing enough immigration to come to this country because immigrants work hard, they bring prosperity, they make our lands more fertile and anyway. And then, of course, read the articles and read the, uh, uh, read the uh, declaration, the, the, the blessed document that uh, is enshrined all of these dignities. The First Amendment and the first five words since I became a little more uh, uh, aware of uh, uh, how these constitutions of the nations are written, uh, why each and every word is so important, I implore you to, I have done that uh, exercise. Uh, I try to read as many constitutions as possible of the world recently. And then I read uh, uh, our constitution, the constitution, our Bill of Rights, the First Amendment. It speaks so differently and so highly of the mentality of this nation about the dignities that are enshrined in our Bill of Rights. The first five words, these are the five words. Congress shall make no laws. Meaning Congress is being the highest legislative body of the United States is being forbidden. You cannot touch these dignities that are enshrined in our Bill of Rights, in our First Amendment. The rest of the world has the language, the Parliament, the General Assembly, the National Assembly has the right to enact laws related to this, 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 this. But here, we value these dignities so very much that even the Congress of the United States has been forbidden that you cannot touch these dignities that are enshrined in our Constitution, in our Bill of Rights, in our First Amendment. So it is that. Uh, I was going to ask you, do you always carry a copy of the Constitution? Uh, of course, I do. <laughs> Lately, uh, I, had to, I had to replace it. Uh, that copy got, uh, got uh, worn out so much. And we have, uh, we have dedicated that copy to, uh, it sits, in, uh, in Virginia Historical Society's uh, making of Virginia section now, so that uh, copies. How do you stay so optimistic and so grateful uh, when so many, so many of us are in such despair about where the country is going? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, that my hopefulness comes from meeting and talking in community to community to community when so many people are so afraid, so concerned, and so worried, it's human nature that they begin to think of solutions. Uh, the way our nation is worried, is concerned about the direction that uh, uh, we are taking, that solution is around the corner. And I sh told you, I repeat it ad nauseum, that uh, I come from Virginia. I come from Charlottesville, Virginia. We found the solution. And that solution is politically active. Recruit candidates, participate, speak. And that 26th page of that 26-page letter that was written to us asking me, asking Mrs. Khan to continue to speak. Had more people spoken, we could have avoided the atrocities that were committed against mankind. It is that moment that we must continue to speak at whatever station we have. It is that that gives me hope and, uh, uh, and I see that, uh, see that optimism uh, in various communities, wherever I was uh, earlier at the law school, the blessed building there, there were lawyers and uh, faculty 
uh, under the leadership of Dean Clark. And uh, I have seen the hopefulness, and the reason I mentioned this, I have seen the hopefulness in the eyes and in the morale and in the behavior of the communities wherever there are lawyers present. It is that, it is that I was in Chicago. I went to speak to a convention. In the speaker's room, there was a very somber uh, Muslim woman sitting. I approached her. I said uh, to her, uh, how are you? And she literally, tears in her eyes, she said, I've been sitting here all day. I need some help. I said, how can I help? She said, uh, I am an immigrant and I need recently arrived from Syria and I uh, need some, some legal assistance. I was speaking to Chicago Bar Association that afternoon. I told her, come with me. We are only <laughs> across the street. And I took her with me and we went there to the hall full of lawyers <laughs> and uh, I uh, introduced her as my daughter. I said, she is my daughter, and she needs uh, uh, some help. Five lawyers, experts of immigration, stood up and came to us, gave her the card, their card, business cards. She placed them in her purse, and she sat down. After I spoke, and uh, at the end of the, that event, we walked out, she approached me. She whispered in my ear. See, it is, she says to me, she said, Mr. Khan, I was losing hope that I may have made a mistake by coming to this nation. Thank you. Now, since these people have offered the help, I feel like my dream coming to America has come true. That is the power. That is the power of concern. When you reach somebody with concern, when you extend the hand of uh, support and hand of goodness, this is how you change the person's perception about this nation, about this country. I was in Portland, Oregon, two women with hijab came to me with their two children. They said, Mr. Khan, we want to share a brief story with you. We were standing at the bus stop and with our children waiting for the school bus to come so we can put them in, uh, in the bus. And uh, a gentleman from across the street began to walk towards us. Halfway towards us, he extended his hand towards us. He said, and they both, both of these ladies told me, please share this with, uh, with wherever you go. And uh, he did this. He said, sisters, I am with you. Never feel alone. And walked away. It is that sometimes these simple words have so much power. So much power. We sometimes underestimate the power of these simple gestures of help and support and standing with one another that uh, we tend to ignore out of our modesty, out of our humbleness, not realizing that such simple gestures are very, very life-changing and such powerful uh, uh, expression. That, that is the perfect segue to just... Uh a final thought, the, the book has so many gestures of the people who helped this extraordinary man. Um, you will find yourself very hopeful about his story. Um, I wanted to thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Khan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thanks for streaming this episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. Mr. Kieser Khan tells his life story in his new book, An American Family, a memoir of hope and sacrifice. He spoke at Seattle University's Campion Ballroom on December 8th. Crosscut Managing Editor Florangela Davila joined him on stage. Thanks to Jenny Cecilmore for our recording. You can hear the full event on our website, kuow.org slash speakersforum. Tune in again soon.